What's up, fam? Welcome to And Another Thing. I'm a wife. He's a husband. I'm the mom. He's the dad. And we are chatting about parenting, adulting, living, loving, and just trying to make life work. And we welcome you. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? I'm Meech. What's up, fam? This is Martha. Welcome to episode number two of And Another Thing. So let's get the business out of the way. We would like to hear from you guys. So how can you reach us? You can email us at andanotherthingpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at A-N-D, another pod. We're also available on Facebook at and another thing podcast it's up on our facebook page absolutely and of course if you want to check out previous episodes of the and another thing podcast you can check us out on anchor we're at anchor.fm slash aat podcast and you can pretty much now find the great news is you can find another thing on pretty much all of your major podcasting platforms we are available on apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. So, and another thing is everywhere. We're everywhere. So, guys, check us out. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh and get into it. Let's let's get some positivity going on the podcast with a little black boy joy, black girl magic. Yeah, you guys are probably listening to this at the start of a week but it's actually Friday night for us so you know it's the end of a work week and who what better do we need than some positive news at the end of a long where it's been a it's it's been a time for me y'all like seriously it was a hell of a week so I just want to tell you guys about a little black boy joy that I found very interesting there is the highest paid robotics engineer in the world right now is none other than a Nigerian man who is 26 years old. His name is Silas. And I'm going to try my best to say his last name correctly. It is Adekunle. Adekunle. So Silas actually is the CEO of a company called Reach Robotics. And recently he has topped the list of the highest paid robotics engineer in the world. Um, He started off uh, his schooling in Lagos and then moved later moved to the UK. And he has just been doing, you know, great things and having great success for himself. And it looks like he secured um, this highest paid position through a deal with Apple through his company. But also with with Apple and in conjunction and some business matters with them. So hats off to him. Yeah, definitely making big waves in the robotics world. I I read that article about um, about Silas. Um, So it's really dope that, you know, we have someone of African descent who is 
doing big things and making a lot of bread doing it. So I'm going to take the black girl magic for this episode and I am going to take it to the world of sports. Of course, I am an avid sports watcher, sports lover. It's a college football season. I love watching college football. And we have a um, a glorious woman who is doing great things in the world of sports broadcasting. Uh, we're talking about none other than Miss Tiffany Green. Make sure I got that name right. Of course, Tiffany Green. She is um, an ESPN broadcaster, and she is now the first African-American woman college football play-by-play announcer. She broadcast, um, actually, believe it or not, HBCUs don't get a lot of love in the college football world for the most part, but now ESPN every Thursday night features a HBCU college football game, which is awesome. And Tiffany Green, along with Jay Walker, who's the analyst for the broadcast, they broadcast these games. So Tiffany is the first African-American play-by-play announcer. She does a great job. She is a fourth-generation FAMU graduate. So she graduated from Florida A&M. Shouts out to the Rattlers, Florida A&M. And so she's very proud of that. She talks about that um, in, in many interviews that she's done about this you know, this big accomplishment. So shouts out to Tiffany. You can listen to her every Thursday night on ESPN where she's broadcasting, you know, the HBCU game. So a little black girl magic there with Tiffany. You know, and definitely hats off to Tiffany and and that accomplishment. It's still amazing to me that sometimes we are still doing all these, the first, you know, the first black woman to do this or the first black man to do that. It is, um, you know, it's great, but it's also baffling sometimes when we are still reaching these first uh, for things like this in 2018. So before we move on, um, let's I just want to listen. We are family, right? So let me tell y'all why it's taken. What is it? Three weeks for us to get back to sharing and talking and kicking it with you guys when I tell y'all we we have some obstacles and we're we're working on them which is why I'm okay to talk about this right now because we are going to work through them but we just have so much going on I think when we had episode one part of what we were talking about at the close of that episode was the fact that school was going to be starting which Meech was very happy about. If, if you listen to episode one, then you you know that he was just ecstatic about that. And, you know, once that happens, what, what was I saying on that episode, Charles? Like, if you listen, what was my concerns when we were talking about that? What did I say? I said, with the return to school comes much responsibility And this whole, you know, I even think I use the word anxiety. I have a lot of anxiety about how everything will be managed time wise. And, you know, it just all the extra responsibilities and time constraints that come with them going to school. So, yeah, school started. But just like I said, it would. 
we ended up with a ton of things to do and different places to be all at the same time. And you get home from work and it's like a rat race to get kids showered, to get homework done, to get them fed, to get them everything. All the stuff I said, I won't even repeat it all because if you listen to episode one, you heard me say it. So all of that started in addition to other things that, you know, happen at work. And then being quite honest, sometimes we, we just not on the same page, you know, with the stress of things like that comes different energy. And I'm big on energy. So there are times where, you know, he was like, what's up? Let's do it. And times where I was like, what's up? Let's do it. But um, Misha goes to sleep, just so y'all know, at 930 at night. He literally falls asleep at 930 at night. That's, go to bed? No. I don't mean he goes to bed. I mean, he sits up in a chair and falls asleep. And then he wakes up sometime around 12. And I'm just kind of getting to the point where, okay, I'm ready to go to sleep. And he's like, so you want to do a podcast? And I'm thinking, man, bye. Okay. No, I don't want to do a podcast. After you took your little power nap. I'm still trying. I didn't been up for the last few hours. Picking out clothes, making a lunch, getting my own clothes ready. Because I did a major overhaul to my own schedule, y'all. When uh, school started, I think I mentioned on our first podcast that our baby, our little baby, who is not yet two, was going to uh, daycare for the first time. So with her going to daycare came a whole new logistical and work schedule for me I had to change my work schedule Um, I changed what I do in the mornings and evening logistically because I am the one who takes her to daycare and picks her up so I mean and when I say change I mean like a big change like I went from you know going to work at like 10 30 in the morning to trying to get to work by 7 30 I mean that's it's huge so and I'm, I'm a night owl I'm I you know I'm not a morning person It takes me a few hours to get going in the morning. I'm better suited at night. So just to give you all a little insight to our lives, we when I tell you, you'll learn this about us, like we're complete opposites on many levels and our sleep and energy cycles is definitely one of them. I'm more I can stay up late and, you know, I'm good and I like to sleep in a little bit. And uh, Meech is the total opposite. He 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 gets up early and he he will clunk out no matter what when I tell you whether it's in a chair he's falling asleep at the kitchen table it, when we get to a certain point of the night now he may wake up later but his body everything is going to shut down somewhere between 9.30 and 10.30 there's a reason for that though I mean it's because and, and listen when I fall asleep at 9.30 or 10 o'clock whatever it is I never let me repeat, people. Fam, I never feel guilty about falling asleep. <laughs> wow. Because I'll tell you why. Wow. Because I'm up early. I am up early. I know the schedules have changed around in the house, but I'm up early. Sometimes I get up extra early, you know, maybe 5, 5.30 in the morning just to try to get to the gym, get a little workout in before the girls get up to get them ready for for school in the morning they usually get up around 6 30 get things going make sure they get their breakfast and you know my older daughter is more than capable of getting herself ready but i usually have to 
push her a little bit because she's slow and and then my middle daughter you know i'm getting her dressed and helping brush her teeth and do all those things getting her on the bus and taking my oldest daughter to school and coming back home and working and all the things that go with you know you guys do it out there those of you that are parents all the things that just kind of go with um you know being a parent so when those kids go to bed there is something inside of me that says well done my son well (laughs) done shut it down for the night and yes sometimes that is 9 30 my wife teases me about it my friends tease me about it because some they they know man don't call me at 10 o'clock at night or 10 30 at night because i'm probably not gonna answer the phone because i'm asleep and i will wake up unlike jesus he is not on the main line okay that's right and i will wake up in the middle of the night with kind of like some new energy you know, and I ha- might watch a little TV or be, something. Or, have the nerve to be indignant when he finally wakes up at 1230 at night. And I'm just now like, m- mind you. Yes, I said I go to work a little bit later. Well, I have been. But that doesn't mean like I get up at 10. I mean, I'm up by 738. So at midnight at 1230 at night, I- I'm usually good and tired. I- and I am the type I don't. I don't slow down. I don't sit down and kind of doze. I don't do that from the moment I'm up in the morning to whenever I finally do get in the bed. And and unlike him, I can't fall asleep, you know, sitting in the living room on the couch or I I have to get in the bed to sleep. So when he gets up at 1230 at night or one o'clock in the morning, it's like, hey, do you want to record a podcast? I'm like, hell no. You know, I'm trying to go to sleep. Um, and he has an urge to be indignant about it. Like, ah, we never going to get this done. So I say all that to say we will do better. We are making a commitment and a promise to you guys to be more consistent with our content. And we will work it out. So I would just like to point out before we before we move on that it is approaching midnight on a Friday night. And he is awake. And I'm awake. And I'm alert. <laughs> and I'm energetic. I'm doing a podcast. Let's get into to, to what is going on in the world and what we want to talk about. Now, I'm sure everybody's familiar. It's been this has happened quite a while ago now, and it's just seemingly getting worse and worse in terms of the headlines. But we have to talk about the death the death of Botham Jean in Dallas. I mean, I'm, I know you guys have heard. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it has uh, certainly, certainly had ripple effects, you know, all over the the nation. Obviously, anytime you have have an incident where a police officer shoots an unarmed black man, obviously it sends ripple effects, and it just I seems mean, to I, have been really... such a such a such a frequent occurrence now that. It's just, it's crazy. And this, this situation just has such a, such a different twist. Like, yeah, I, to be in your home and a police officer walks in your home and kills you in your house while you're, whatever you do in your home, relaxing, whatever. It, it's crazy just to even fathom this happening and then kind of the after effects of it all you know particularly what's happening with this officer or what's not happening 
with this officer has just been, you know, we, we've, we've kind of been, I don't want to say conditioned, I hate to use that word, but we've kind of seen these instances where, you know, unarmed black men are, are killed by police officers and there's no ramifications for the officer. You know, nobody goes to jail, you know, maybe they lose their job, maybe they get suspended without pay for an extended period of time, and then they, they come back to work. So we, we've seen these situations well, where there's no... she's on administrative leave, so as my understanding is right now, she is actually receiving pay. Right. And so we, so we, we see these instances where nothing's done, and then something like this, which seemingly... I don't want to say it's it should be open and shut, but you walk into someone's home under the under the this crazy notion that you thought it was your apartment. You shoot and kill someone and you're on administrative leave. You still get paid while an investigation is going on. It is it is mind boggling. It is it's baffling. It's it's upsetting. It's frustrating. I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know what else to say to say about it. Well, I mean, I know you, you touched on that is, you know, particularly devastating to, you know, the African-American community when we hear about these shootings. But this case, I think, transcends even the African-American community. I don't think we are the only ones. I mean, and even in the other cases, I, I you know, we, we would be remiss to say that we were the only ones. I know it feels like that sometimes, but we're never the only ones outraged. But this case in particular, I think more than even the others where police were somehow engaged with the person that ended up being killed due to what could be perceived as some type of, you know, criminal element. They were called on them for some other reason or they engaged them because of a traffic stop or or anything where, you know, the police were called and responding, you know, that's one thing. I think this case transcends um, in terms of outrage um, beyond the African-American community because there was no no criminal or perceived criminal aspect to her coming in contact with this young man who, by the way, was was 26 years old when he was killed on September 6th was an accountant at Price Water. So I, I think this this is rattled even more than it just, you know, the African-American community, for one, just because everybody is not <laughs> indifferent, even though it seems like that at times right now in, in our society. Um, and some people actually have compassion for people of color. But with this, this could have happened to anyone. You know, we are at a state where, you know, and I know there's a lot of people out there that, are, you know, uh, they think that by somehow wanting justice for uh, times where cops do not protect and serve is somehow being against all of um law enforcement which is not true at all but you know that's the card that they play but I think even anyone anyone I think most people most rational people understand that they can't apply those ridiculous um, sentiments that they apply in those other cases to try to justify the overreaction of 
of law enforcement in this case that you you can't you know all these little twitter fingers that want to get on there oh if you just comply oh you know he should have complied he should have done this like none of that bullshit even can be applied to this particular case this is someone who was sitting in their own home as many of us do no matter of color so i think you know this is probably more of uh awakening for some of those those people that always want to throw a little seed of doubt out there. Well, what happened before the tape started? All of that BS that we we often hear when we see these shootings. Um, well, we don't know what they did, what they did or said before the tape started. And, and not to say we don't have any of that. Yes, I, I saw some of that too, even in this case. Well, she gave commands. So what? I mean, if you happen to look into you, out in your door and see a, a person who you don't know, uh, whether you if even if it registers that you're looking at a police officer and they're telling you to to stop or to don't move or whatever and you're in your own house and have no other reason why you're thinking they should even be there do you follow that command I mean you may even just be trying to figure out what the hell is happening so that part was just like asinine but you touched on this like the whole way that this thing has been handled after the fact is leaving a very bad taste in everyone's mouth. And I and I have to say, it, it just makes me so worried about where the outcome will go because we see almost a train wreck in slow motion happening before our eyes. We're seeing this going further, further off the rails and left than what we believe it should be. I mean, there is just no way. There's no plausible way that things happen the way that she said. I mean, this is something any blind man could see that there are just so many holes in this. A lot of people are talking about this now. But when I first, first heard of this case, when I first heard of this and we all heard this BS story about her believing her apartment to be hers. And, I'm, you know, the first thing you think, we all went through that time where we were just like debating and mulling over what? How could that be possible? I mean, we all was like, OK, she must have been high. She must have been high. She must have been drunk. Then they said then they say, oh, no, wait, she was in uniform. She literally had just got off of work. Okay, so she was not hired. She was not drunk. Although we still don't have results of the toxicology report. Not to say people don't go get um, drink after work or whatever. But by all accounts so far, it does not appear she was under the influence. Because if she was, they would be trying to use that to their advantage in some way. They already have thrown out there she worked 15 hours. Okay, when I tell y'all I worked 15 hours many, many times. Never once. Never once have I pulled up, went to my neighbor's door, and then believed that they had broken into my house. And what's what's so interesting is that in this country where obviously we need, um, we, we all, you know, we are aware that gun reform is something that is just, we could all benefit from. Well, not everybody believes that, but I, I, say everybody doesn't agree I, I, I believe that. But I say that to say with our issues with guns, if you look over just cases, you know, just Google. I mean, neighbor disputes are not uncommon. Like, unfortunately, we live in a country where she would not be the first neighbor who shot her, you know, person who shot her neighbor. 
because of some type of neighbor dispute. I immediately thought it had to be something like that. And this is before, you know, all of the other things came out. And now since then, we've heard we've it's I mean, it's proven they're able to show that she had lodged not one. I don't even I think it was even more than two noise complaints against both of them. And there's just so many inconsistencies with her story. I mean, we can just run down the line. The fact that, you know, everybody's been talking that she says the door was ajar. Um, but we have video from other tenants in the building, you know, recording and posting on social media showing that there's no way that the door could have been ajar because they have an automatic kind of quiet close mechanism on the door where their doors always shut. So if you will think about the new technology with your kitchen drawers, how you have that soft close on new kitchen cabinets and drawers where the drawers always close and they close quietly. They don't slam. They, it, it appeared to be on the video, something, yeah, some kind of technology somewhat like that. So, okay. Door was likely not a jar, ma'am, but that's what she's saying. She's saying she didn't know it was her apartment yet. His apartment had a red, had a red rug at the entrance, which she did not have. I believe it appeared to be if I'm, you know, if I can see the directionally right on the videos that people post to the left of his door, are the apartment numbers illuminated? For one, her level of awareness when it comes to finding a particular location has to be pretty damn high. Okay, she's not just like fiddling around in the dark and like doesn't know where she's going. I would think her level of awareness paying attention to where she is and where she's going, it's 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 keenly high uh, with the nature of her job. So, I mean, it, it just so much of it doesn't fit. And then you have, you know, the reports from neighbors saying that they heard her banging on the door. They heard a woman banging on the door saying, "Let me in, let me in," which you know is contradictory to the whole. The door was ajar, and you know, you gave a command. And I mean, will any of us ever know what exactly happened? No, but my feeling at this point is that it was a neighbor dispute. She complained about him for noise. She came home after a 15 hour shift. Maybe she went into her apartment and could already hear noise and decided before even really going in and getting settled, she was going to go up and talk to him about it and proceeded to bang on his door, have him open the door. And either his reaction wasn't what she wanted it to be, or she was just right from the start believed that, you know, she could basically teach him a lesson about noise. I, I mean, I don't know, but nothing that has been said about it makes very much sense in in terms of why definitely we not buying the you just thought this was your apartment. I mean, come on. Even if, even if you, I mean, which is just completely beyond BS, okay? But in all of this without realizing that you are in the wrong place and you just happen to have made noise complaints against this person multiple times. And so, so we all know that that's bullshit. So we can move on from that. But let's go to the after and how, and what we're seeing in terms of how this case is being handled. Because <laughs> these, <laughs> I won't even say what I want to say there, have 
the nerve to search his apartment, but did not search hers. Right. And they found, you know, said they found marijuana, you know, which is unfortunately typical for situations like this. We always see where, you know, unfortunately, an African-American who's killed, they're generally criminalized in these scenarios, you know. They find the absolute worst picture of the person that they could find or... And comb through social media and try to dig up whatever they could on them. And they got their hands full because they got a man who was college educated. Right. Who was sending money back to his home country to support... by the way. I did look that up. To support children. Was beloved by not only his family, but his country. His own prime prime minister came and spoke... After this happened, worship leader was a worship leader at his church. I mean, they probably thought shit, you know, because in their minds, we'll handle this because it's just another, you know, what what they consider just another nigga that, that got shot by one of us, and we'll be able to find something bad about him and, and justify it. And they bit off way more than they could chew in that regard because this was not your stereotype he was not who you try to make all black men out to be and therefore justify them being expendable and the crazy part even in all of that is and i and i and i saw this conversation taking place on on twitter is that even in that you know yes you know he was a college educated man he was you know by all accounts a law-abiding citizen he was a worship leader at his church that doesn't make him more worthy of his life than somebody who we might characterize as a thug or oh i know that in in, in the community like he's that guy's just as worthy of life as as the college educated worship leader black man so absolutely you know but we live in a society where they try to quantify the worthiness of life for a black man by his past or, you know, whatever transgressions he's had. So that's just reality. Yeah. And, and, and and it's unfortunate, but you know, they didn't get that stereotypical story that they like to, you know, write into that script that they like to stick to in this case. The fact that she was able once an arrest finally did occur, okay? Like, did did we have to fight for an arrest to the level that we had to fight for an arrest with, say, the likes of George Zimmerman where they didn't even want to arrest this guy? No, it didn't go quite that far. But they sure was slow dragging their damn feet about it. And once we finally got an arrest, by all accounts of what anybody would consider... The state of Texas actually does not have first degree murder. It's, it's capital murder, I believe. But we did not get murder. She was only arrested. The arrest warrant reads manslaughter, which that in itself is troubling at the very least. So they arrest her on the, with this manslaughter warrant. But she is arrested, booked, bond given, granted, and, and posted and released under this wonderful uh, cloak of blue invisibility before anyone can 
see or know that this occurred and happened and, and gone. I mean, if that does not speak to the protection that they're the, the protection and the special treatment that they are offering to this officer, I don't know what does. Because so when else does that freaking happen? Okay. Okay. And now we fast forward even to we're now, like I said, three weeks, three weeks out. And we have this police chief who actually is a, a migrant of from here in Michigan where we are. Right. She was the former, uh, if I'm not mistaken, she was the former deputy police chief of Detroit. So she's having to answer, you know, why is this woman still receiving a salary? Why is she still on your police force? So um, her name is actually Chief Renee Hall, um, who I'm sure everyone has seen on, on television. But, I mean, she has this officer still on payroll. She is being paid. Administrative leave is leave with pay. So, you know, it's like, really? I mean, what makes you different? Yeah, I think in this scenario, I don't think the chief is making that call. I think her hands are tied. I think the Texas Rangers and other... You know, maybe higher up levels. The Texas of law Rangers have stepped down out of the case, though. They made the initial; they gave it back. So when they, I mean, when they handed it over to the district attorney's office, they said that they're out of it. Yeah, I don't think it's fully her call to make a decision about you know this woman's administrative status with the police force. I think she is more of a. I don't want to use the word puppet, but more of a of kind of a mouthpiece as it pertains to this whole ordeal. I think she's kind of the mouthpiece, kind of speaking out on where things are, but I don't know that she's necessarily calling the shots in terms of whether or not this woman can keep her job or not. I definitely don't think that she's, again, I go back because somebody has to speak up for him and what's right. And I do, I, I mean, I got some of those trigger words and things that she said that, that was uh, speaking to, you know, the cold language that, she might feel like her hands are tied and she's being forced to to allow things to happen. I, I got that, too. But, you know, at the, the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, I believe it is if she's her her top level superior. Now, would there be repercussions if she did fire her? You know, and I and I hear that she's saying that it could it could hurt the criminal case. Right. So that's why she's not doing it. And that may or may not be true. But it's just awful how this whole thing is being handled. Botham John is a man that had this woman not come to his door for whatever her motivation was for going to his door. He could be sitting at home watching TV, doing whatever, listening to music, whatever he was doing right now, much like he was on September 2nd. Had he not encountered her and the only reason they encountered her each other is because of her. So what part of that does not, you know, if I engage you unarmed at some point during the day and as a result, I end up dead. What what is to debate here? Like, how is that not murder? Yeah, for sure. Um, It's just such an unfortunate situation. You know, a guy was 26 years old, you know, a senseless murder being killed. So much life to live. So many people that loved him and cared about him and are going to live life missing him and, 
and you know yearning for his presence and it's just a sad you know sad situation regardless of if he was you know black man white man right it could have been anybody it could have been anyone it is a it is a unfortunate terrible terrible situation and so you know rest in peace you know both of them you know i was i was watching his some video footage of him leading worship at the church service the Sunday before he was murdered. And it's like, man, just to know, like, or die or not know, right, that it could just all end, you know, in an instant. And, and in the most unlikely of, I shouldn't say in the most unlikely of places, but just under the most unlikely of circumstances, just so bizarre. It, it's, it's really tragic and really, you know, really sad. And the the main thing that I hope is that justice is served, you know, and I know that has been wishful thinking in these instances where, you know, black black men and women, too, have been have been murdered. Uh, it seems to never be any justice served. But, um, you know, we continue to 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 fight the fight and continue to pray that at some point, you know, the humanity of these people will be will be realized and recognized and that these people that that kill you know face the consequences of their actions because any other person best believe as as you were saying you know if it were me and I shot my neighbor and we you know live in a predominantly white neighborhood you know if 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 I shot my neighbor and killed my neighbor because I thought I was walking into my house and it wasn't my house. The patience and the the compassion that this this uh, this lady is is seemingly getting is certainly something that you know me, you, or anyone else who carried out an act like that would get. So you know, rest in peace, both of them, and definitely prayers to to his mother. Definitely. You know, her her video where she was speaking about him was. You know, it was really heartbreaking to watch and, you know, his his attorney speaking out on what clearly was an attempt to assassinate his character. It's just been a really classless thing across the board from the media, you know, that that aired, oh, marijuana was found in his home and and just, you know. And can we stop trying to criminalize marijuana in, you know, in general? So, yeah, definitely rest in peace, both of them. And. And and we we pray that justice is served, you know, in this situation. Definitely, definitely. So let's talk about um, this. This happened to. Actually, today was it today or yesterday? Well, the the initial conversation that started what occurred in the last day or so, um, but with Cat Williams and what is the radio uh, radio personality's name? Wanda. I don't know her last name, but Cat Williams appeared on V one hundred three's Frank and Wanda mm-hmm. in the morning. I guess this was probably about a week or so ago. And he had some very interesting things to say about a number of of comedians, specifically Tiffany Haddish. 
And he also got into, I guess, what would be considered quite a verbal verbal spat with with Wanda. The Wanda co- Smith. Wanda Smith, the co-host herself. They, they exchanged kind of some barbs back and forth. The video has been shared. I've seen it. So many people on on social media share it. And, and surprisingly, a lot of people kind of siding with Cat Williams on it. You know, kind of saying that you know she started it. But I, but I don't know. It, it was it was a to me. I kind of saw him as being a bit harsh. I, I definitely thought, in terms of his thoughts on you know Tiffany Haddish and some other comedians he spoke out on, like Rail Rail Howery and Gerard Carmichael and some others. But he really kind of fo- honed in on. On Tiffany Haddish, I just thought he was hating. To be honest with you, I thought I, I he I was saw, he was hating big time. And maybe that was just some of it. I mean, and, and since since then, you know, obviously more things have happened. There was, you know, what is another viral moment happened within the last twenty four to forty eight hours with um, Kevin Hart responding to a lot of the comments that Cat Williams made on that interview with Frank and Wanda for their show. But let's start with just his exchange with Wanda in terms of, you know, what we're seeing and what, like you said, you're seeing people that were kind of siding with him. I did get more information after seeing the initial viral video, which I thought the same thing. I was just like, initially like, okay, he's an ass. And a little bit perturbed by the way he was speaking with her. And then, you know, I I think they both were wrong, honestly. But I have to take particular issue with with him for um, a reason that I'll I'll explain. But in those later conversations, I think she kind of did a her and her co-host kind of did a sit down like right the yeah. a couple was, of days a couple later days after which right. was videoed and obviously shared you know on social media and i think they share their show on youtube so and within that conversation i think i got a little bit more insight on why it kind of maybe what state he was coming from in terms of what place of uh in his mind state of mind he was coming from so they explained in that kind of sit down where they addressed um, that previous then viral interview with Kat, where she was explaining just how she felt. And I, and I have to say that is the point where I heard more and it made me kind of start to share the blame of the whole situation with the both of them because she was a little bit whiny. I don't think she was taking a lot of accountability. They did say that, you know, just him ever even coming into the studio and wanting to be in front of a mic because he was just there with the other comedian. Right, they were right. they were together. Right. Um, but his intention was not to be interviewed or um, to be, you know, over the airwaves at all um, that day. And he repeatedly, repeatedly de- declined their offers to be on. So. I think some of what we may have been seeing what it is just cat being cat and being an ass. And a lot of it, it made more sense to me, you know, because he seemed aggressive from the start, you know, from what I watched, I was like, well, geez, but just towards her, like but it was, it was exclusive. He, yeah, he did not show her. that aggression. Yeah, to, Frank to any... was asking the questions and he was kind of, he was kind of answering right. his questions without right. the, the aggression that he seemed right. to have towards her. Right. 
And that aggression is something that is troubling to me on many levels because that is the first thing. So so let's let's back up a bit. Like I didn't have this secondary interview kind of Wanda and Frank just sitting down talking about what had transpired the day before at that point. So I didn't know the piece about Kat repeatedly telling them he didn't want to be on and then basically being after much pressure decide, okay, I'll come in and talk to you guys, which, you know, like I just said, so at the, the point where I just saw this for the first time, I thought, okay, why are we always, why do we accept this? Why do we accept this aggression repeatedly toward black women? And if you mean like, what do I mean? Like, this is bigger than just two comedians in a studio talking because of the reason that Meech just said there were other people in the studio. He had questions coming from other people or banter or conversation from not only his own uh, friend and comedian who was there with him, but the other, the counterpart for this show, uh, which is the Frank guy who was also speaking and that level of aggression was not shown. So for me, you know, I, I immediately looked at it and I said, okay, what is the difference in this exchange with Kat and Wanda than Bill O'Reilly with Maxine Waters or uh, Sean Spicer telling April Ryan not to shake her head. I mean, what is the difference? Why do we accept this? Why um, do we see these um, these occurrences of of black women not only being, you know, kind of experiencing this condescending aggression from men? And in this case, we we quite rarely do we see any defense of them by other people or men around who can defend them. And that is definitely very blatant in the case of the Wanda and Frank issue, because here they are hearing it. And never once does anybody say, oh, he might be being a little bit. And it bit. was clear from the video that Red Grant, who was the other comedian there, he was uncomfortable at times. Like if you kind of noticed they put the camera on him sometime. And if you notice his posture and his positioning, he was definitely uncomfortable during some of the some of the exchange. But to your point, when you were speaking about, you know, um, Sean Spicer and, and April Ryan and Bill O'Reilly and Maxine Waters, like, I mean, he people, attacked her hair. He he went straight Bill, Bill O'Reilly. Right. Well, right. He's talking, talking about, about her Williams. hair. Right. He's talking right. about, oh, your hair and the headphones come together. And I mean, come on. Like, we were appalled when Bill O'Reilly right. did this that, to Maxine Waters. That's the point I was going to say. People came for Bill O'Reilly when he made the comments that he made. People came for Sean Spicer when he made the comments that he made to April Ryan. But I think the reason why people didn't jump on Cat is because the perception by some was. Well, he's a comedian and she's a comedian. So they're kind of roasting each other and it's going back and forth. And this is being all done in the name of jokes. And that could have been it. And it could have remained that way. And has she been able to get a word in edgewise? And we kind of saw an equal. Now, was he one one point where he could rightfully roast her was her her broccoli response. I mean, you don't have to be damn Cat Williams to roast her for that. Like you're talking yeah, that, about that food. Was funny. That was funny. <laughs> you're talking about food and cooking for your kids. And he asked, "Okay, Wanda, what's your specialty? What do you cook?" And she says, 
broccoli. I mean, hell, I'm not a stand-up comedian and I could have got in plenty of jabs on her with that one. So we're not, you know, this is something like where we're being unreasonable, but there were points of it where, you know, it, it left that realm of sparring, comedic sparring, which we don't play, we don't play the female card in that, you know, it's plenty of very talented female comedians that can get up there and stand and hold their own. And, and we're not like, Oh, you can't talk about us because we're women or because any of that. So that's not where that came from. But his aggression, he was condescending to her from the very start. And we're not talking about um, parts of the conversation where we're getting into a comedic sparring. This is where you just sharing, you know, they're asking him questions relevant to things that he got a chance to speak on his thoughts on, you know, Netflix deals and that, that wasn't comedic sparring. That was, we're interviewing you. And even during those times, his remarks to her, his answers to her questions were condescending. But then you, you fast forward and you see, and I saw this talk between the Frank guy. Um, cause I wasn't familiar with the show and y'all don't roast me. I'm not from Atlanta or where they are. I mean, I know they're syndicated, but I don't really listen to radio that way like actual radio so I I had never heard of any of these people prior to this but in their talking what they uh, put out there on social media them having a conversation I will say I'm I still have a problem with Kat and and that like I said condescending aggression that he showed her but I got a little bit more insight like I said and how or why he came to act that way it still is not excusable but the fact that he did not want or seemingly didn't want to speak. And I guess she was the person that they used to kind of to convince him. Mm-hmm. So maybe by the time they got in the studio, he was already tired of her ass. Who knows? But I mean, it still doesn't take away from the fact that of what I'm saying and my issue with Kat and is like, why are you trying to tear other people down? Right. Dude? Like, right. come on. And kudos to Kevin Hart, who... He didn't defend Wanda, but he did an interview today with Tiffany Haddish on The Breakfast Club where he they were promoting, what is it, Night School? Is that mm-hmm. They got a new movie coming out. Yeah. I think next week, next weekend it, it opens. Mm-hmm. And so they were promoting that. And Kevin Hart took a, took a stand and, and stood up big time for Tiffany Haddish. In fact, in the interview he said... As in reference to Cat Williams, he says, "You you kick the ball, you kick the ball in my sister's yard. So now I'm about to go get it. So in other words, he was kind of like, you started this, I'm a, I'm about to finish it. And so he really just stood up for her and defended. And it goes back to to you know the point you were making earlier about people uh, people being aggressive in their communications with black women. So it was good to see a guy like Kevin Hart, who is obviously well established." You know, as he he told us at least five times in that interview, the the biggest African American comedian movie star. See, I, I never even pick up. I watched that right. same interview, and that was not. I did not have a dog whistle for that. I did not hear uh, well, anything about him. He was what stunting, he was saying. Okay, tried to stunt. now, but he you was. Just, you he, have a thing with that. Yeah, so, so he was stunning. Hear that, but I, but I understand his reasoning for stunning. He was stunning to kind of counter some of the claims that cat williams was making in the v in the v103 interview but anyway 
Cat Williams kind of tried to discredit Tiffany Haddish, if you will. You know, he said in his interview, you know, nobody knows or remembers a Tiffany Haddish joke. Yeah, I heard You that. know, he said, you know, Tiffany Haddish was basically only on because... She was married to a white man and wanted to sleep with white men. Which she is was false. right. She was, you know, he made the he made the comment that the reason that she was she did so well in Girls Trip is because she was surrounded by three well established African American actresses, which she was surrounded by three right. well established African American actresses. About but she made the she, movie that she was playing a part that was written, written for, for her, which everyone in a movie is, is playing a part that is written for them. Um, and everybody doesn't perform those written parts well. Right. Just because something is written for you doesn't mean that you actually are going to act it out or perform it well. There have been terrible movies that we have right. seen that have been written by someone. Who have been and they have been acted out poorly. So you right. can't and, and comedian her for right. for that. She she killed it in that movie. Now I'm not. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm the biggest Tiffany Haddish fan. Waving the banner. I wasn't a huge fan of her Showtime comedy special that she did. No, but she I is she either. is funny in spurts for me. And she was hilarious in Girls Trip. I, I think what people, her appeal is that people like her realness. Which is one of the comments that Wanda actually said. When he started, when he first started out the gate kind of bashing Tiffany. Um, Wanda tried to... To you know, give a give another perspective, and then say she was like, "Hey, wait a minute!" I think she was like, "I just really like." I'm so proud of her for her success because, right. you know, she is just real. And he, oh, if that's what you call real, you know, it was just very condescending from the yes, start. He says everybody, everybody has a has an auntie or a niece, a ghetto or friend, a or, or a ghetto friend, or whatever who speaks their mind and who's real. Like in other words, he's like, well, she's not anything new. Yeah, because you know, that was, would be me. You know, he life. was kind of, he was kind of, you know, doing that. But I just, I just want to I mean, know. And even saying the part of it, her, her parts are written for her. How does that make a difference? If you are a stand-up comedian, so if you are a stand-up comedian that also. Um, gets the opportunities to act in movies that's any stand-up comedian you have you stand up on the stage you do 30 minutes or an hour of your own material which you wrote that is where you display what you've written and what you have created in your own mind but that does not mean that you don't want to also be an actor or actress where you're going to go in and um, you're going to act out these roles that someone else worked for you but I just think we have to stop getting to this point particularly with African-Americans in the African-American community where we feel like, and I get it, I understand like in Hollywood, it's kind of dog eat dog. And really, it's unfortunate, but really when you look at historically, right? Like you look at Hollywood, usually there is only like one like black comedian like popping at one time. Like everybody kind of has their time. Like Eddie Murphy had his run. Martin Lawrence had his run where he was the guy. And you know, now it's now it's Kevin Hart. Now what's interesting though is you kind of have Kevin Hart and then you kind of have Tiffany Haddish like emerging. So we have like two, you know, black comedians kind of emerging at the same time making a making a lot of movies. But the unfortunate thing just because of how Hollywood is wired, I guess, it's always like, oh, we can only have this one, you know, funny black guy who's in all of the movies and he, you know, kind of 
oversaturates things and, and isn't everything. And so that guy right now is Kevin Hart. But um, we have to get to this point where we have, you know, in order to, for me to tell you how good I am or what I've done, I got to tear, right. you know, another person down. Well, like, we got to that, get away from that's, that. That's, that's, that's not just Hollywood. Right. right? I was that's gonna that's say, everywhere, right? That's everywhere. I was going to say, yeah, that's definitely a deficiency in character that anyone could in- encounter sure, but i but, but i definitely a problem in 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 the african-american community and, and i think it's lot. because we feed into we feed into you know those um ideas that have been forced upon us that there could only be one you know or that there could only be we're competitive with one another that way because we equate success with acceptance from others um usually other non people of color so because we do that we think that that success is only is only deemed or granted if they say we're successful and they only call upon us one at a time so that that's really the problem I mean you can have this kind of tunnel vision where you believe there's only one spot because we we don't believe that there is a spot until they tell us it's a spot so they lift someone up and put them on that pedestal that's when we all say oh my god look and we equate mainstream success with overall success um for us and in this country and that's really just we equate acceptance acceptance by non-black people um as being the barometer for success so we we have to change that we just got to change that as as a people it is what it is. We just got to stop tearing people down, you know. Stop living for living for acceptance because you'll die from rejection. Agreed. Agreed. So, um, real quick, we just want to just quickly touch on um, what we feel, what we're saying, what's lit for us, for us. We're not talking about the world. It's not what's lit in the world. It's just like what's lit for us right now. And when we are talking about what's lit, we are talking about what is lit from a literary standpoint. What uh, we're reading or watching in terms of documentaries. So I just finished two books. And I want to just let y'all know about them because they were, um, you know, a one absolutely amazing. Um, and it's by my one of my most favorite authors Bernice L. McFadden who recently um had the release of of her book um Praise Song for Butterflies and um it's about the practice of what's called Tricosi and I could be I hopefully I'm saying that uh correctly but it's basically um Almost like child slavery or ch- child slavery or indentured servitude that happens in uh, African nations. So, and this is fiction. It is a beautiful, well-written story about a girl who unfortunately ends up in this situation um, due to her family. No, I'm not gonna say. I'm not telling the oh, book. Okay. I'm just right. telling them what, what. People might be like, "Oh, I'm gonna read that." And then I hope they read it. I hope they read it. I mean, she wrote. I will say this. So I finished this book very quickly, and again, 
Um, she's one of my favorite authors. So even if you didn't read this book, um, I definitely whenever ever someone asks me about a book to read or to recommend a book for them to read, I always recommend it. Um, a book that she wrote years ago. Now I think it may have already reached this. I don't know, 20th anniversary or so, but called Sugar, um, which I would love to see an adaptation of it to screen. And I see Viola Davis in the in the lead part. But this particular book, Praise Song for Butterflies, she wrote a book some years ago. And I was a little confused by this because she wrote a book some years ago and it was called uh, My Name is Butterfly, which is also about this practice of Tricosi and what happens to girls and just in this situation um, in some African countries. So when I tell you, you will laugh, cry. I mean, it's just such a fantastic, emotional, very well-written. I mean, this character um, that she writes about, you will be there with her um, in the moment as, as, as she goes through this from a young girl at the age of nine, uh, being forced into kind of this world and later on in life living um, coming in a, to America and living in America. It is just a, a very uh, well written story. So if you're looking for something to read, definitely check that out. I also finished April Ryan's book this week and which people know about April Ryan under fire. April Ryan is a White House correspondent press uh, correspondent it has been under four presidents I want to say or is this her third it was George George G-Dub George, George W Obama President Obama and now President Trump so maybe three presidents I don't know if she was there during the tenure of the the first George Bush H.W. Bush H so you know it's really Listen, we all seeing what's happening with the attack on the media right now. I will say there wasn't much. Well, I won't say that. I was going to say there wasn't much that she talks about that I didn't know about. But I do think she gives you a little bit more insight. So if you are a news junkie or a politics junkie, and even if you're not, I mean, there's no way you couldn't have missed, you know, some of the things that have happened, even if you don't go seeking out this This content, I think everybody knows about, you know, the president asking a reporter who asked him a question, if she had the number for the black uh, congressional caucus that she could call them. Can you set up a meeting? You could. Can you set that up like that infamous thing that happened back in, I believe it was 2017 of her asking, you know, him had he been in touch with them because he was about to roll out something particularly that pertained to african-american people and him saying hey well can you set up that can you set up that meeting and she's like no so she is that reporter that is april ryan she is not new to the game um she's an established reporter like i said has served the white house under at least three at least three that i know about presidents And now it's gone from, you know, just being a reporter doing her job, which is to ask questions to having to travel with security and getting death threats because of the nature of how the media has been attacked under this current uh, political regime. So, you know, check that out. If, If you like 
politics, if you are interested in, you know, our media's place in in our political scope right now, it's an interesting take on that. So that that's that's for me in terms of books. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, what's lit for me is not any books. That's not to say I don't read, but it's just to say that I'm not reading right now. So I am watching a, a documentary, though, right now. Actually, a couple, but I'll just highlight one that I'm watching right now. Um, it is a, a stars documentary. It is called The Warriors of Liberty City. Some of you guys may have watched it. It is, ironically, executive produced by, guess who? LeBron James and his partner Maverick Carter. The The Warriors of Liberty City center around it's a it's a documentary, it's a six part series. I think I'm two episodes in. I think there's only two that have aired. And it centers around the Liberty City Warriors, which is a pop pop Warner football team. It was founded by Luther Campbell, aka Uncle Luke. <laughs> wow. Yep. Uh, in in the in the yeah right yes yes that Uncle Luke yep yeah. so it was it was founded by Uncle Luke over thirty years ago wow and um so Uncle Luke been loving the yeah, kids yeah Uncle Luke you know Snoop Dogg has a kids. football league too I don't know if you guys have ever watched Coach Snoop that's a Netflix uh docu series about Snoop's football league that is intense it's very interesting but I digress um. The Warriors of Liberty City, um, it's in the Liberty City neighborhood of Miami, which is an extremely dangerous neighborhood. And so this documentary kind of highlights some families within within the football program. They follow a, a new coach to the program. He coaches, I think he coaches the 11 to 13 year olds. And it's a very interesting show. They have a they have a team of young kids. I want to say they're like maybe eight or nine, and they call them the Boom Squad. And like everybody is like vested in this team because they're like super talented and like don't lose. Wow. So they're like okay. they're like really good. Um, but it deals with just some of the struggles that these families are having living in such really uh, impoverished area. You know, there's there's a family on the show who is a family of six, and they live in a one-bedroom apartment. Oh, wow. Um, they deal with, and I don't want to give it away because you guys should check it out. They deal with, um, you know, just some tragedy. The episode that I just watched, I think there was, um, was it Hurricane Maria? Was that a hurricane? I yes. think it was mm-hmm. Hurricane Maria. So that that was like on the horizon as they're in the midst of their football season. So, you know, they're trying to think about whether they need to evacuate and leave. And, you know, evacuate leaves the same thing. Whether they need to evacuate or, or what the next steps are. And, and, and Luke is very, very hands-on um, in the program. And the cool thing about the program or cool thing about the show is that not only do they highlight the kids that are currently in the program, they highlight this other kid who's like uh, in high school now and he's like a top level college prospect. Then they talk to former players who were who were in the program. Those players include Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson, um, Duke, Duke Johnson, who plays currently for the Cleveland Browns. And Devontae Freeman, who currently plays for the Atlanta Falcons. So they've actually had some some 
kids who've gone through the program who actually come up and make it to the NFL. So it's a really interesting show. It's on Stars, so uh, you guys should check it out. Um, I've enjoyed the first two episodes so far and uh, can't wait for the third. So yeah, that's what's lit. All right, so so as we wrap up episode number two of And Another Thing, we want to thank you guys for joining us. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, we like to end our episodes with our And Another Thing. So, Martha, go ahead and hit us with one before we sign off. Listen, y'all, And Another Thing. We absolutely, you know, it's something that I would like to remind my wonderful husband Meech about and it's just like good to for us all to keep in mind that we need to be very mindful of who we are caping for and when I say caping I mean who are we uh standing up going to bat for you know we all have people in our lives that will come to us um with some issues um that sometimes we only hear from if there are issues that may not always be the case, but sometimes it, it can, it can be just that and who require um, assistance or some level of support, or they have some issue that they are letting you know is affecting them. And, and it is great to, it's always a blessing to be able to be a blessing, right? We all know that we can all agree upon that. But there's just sometimes when some people that they kind of like their own toxicity, you know, they have things going on and they just that's just that's just where they are. So when I say, you know, to cape or not to cape, OK, do every situation does not require necessarily you or I or us to be the savior. You know, you cannot save a fish from drowning so what and that basically is they're they're in their element they're gonna be fine you know fish they swim it you know you can't you can't save them so we just have to be mindful um of how much time and energy we give situations and people like that it is great to want to help but like i said you can't save a fish from drowning so Sometimes it's, it's, it's bigger than you and, and you won't be able to help them. And, um, we all face situations like that. So I just think it, it's a great reminder to us that, that everything will not, everything and everyone will not require or should not require our time and our energy. So I just wanted to leave y'all with that, um, as my, and another thing. And another thing, I was doing some self-reflection this morning, and one of the things that I was thinking about is that we often, just with the hustle and bustle of life and the things that we you know, go through on a day-to-day basis, can find ourselves in some very stressful situations. I mean, life in general can be, can be stressful and have, us, and have us bogged down, and a lot of times we can get into... Um, a habit of kind of just, for lack of a better term, just kind of complaining. You know, I know my my wife has has talked about 
the house, you know, not being as clean as maybe we would like it to be, or, you know, the kids maybe not doing what we want them to do, and, you know, maybe us from a, you know, marital perspective, there may be, you know, some times where there's some, some, some disconnection, and one of the things that I, I was reflecting on is that, you know, you know, having a roof over your head is a blessing, you know, as much as she drives me crazy, having a spouse is a blessing, you know, having kids, even though maybe, you know, you, you might have a few too many <laughs> are, are, are a blessing. And so sometimes we put ourselves in situations or sometimes we find ourselves in situations where the very things that we prayed for are the things that we like complain about the most. And so it was just a time for me to self-reflect and remember that, you know, that the the house, the job, the the kids, the spouse, whatever it is that you prayed for and that you were blessed with, you know, remember that you prayed for that and you asked for that and and that blessing was granted to you. And so maybe sometimes when when life gets you bogged down, when things get tough, when things get stressful, you know, remember that, you know, there's always joy on the other side of 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 suffering or pain if you will things get hard things get tough but um you know just keep the faith and we will endure so that is my and another thing you ain't telling me you was gonna preach oh no i, I was that was that was a that was a sermon and, and the doors of the church are open yep, if there's one Y'all go on ahead and subscribe. <laughs> right. Lord. If there's one, subscribe to the <laughs> And Another Thing podcast. Well, thank you so much for listening to episode number two of an And Another Thing. Be sure, as Martha has mentioned, to follow us on all of our social media platforms. Also, be sure if you missed episode one of the podcast, you can find it on mostly all of your podcasting platforms. We're of course, on Anchor, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, just about any platform where you can find podcasts, you will find and another thing. So, we're done for this week. We'll see you guys sooner than you think. See you next time, fam. All right, peace. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the And Another Thing podcast. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. You can also keep up with our podcast and download previous episodes on Anchor, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and many other podcasting platforms. Once again, thanks so much for your support. Peace, fam.